0: this is how you superimpose the capabilities on top of one another without having to spend the resources to, to build them. So I, I've, I've pre-constructed muscle mass easier to maintain anything, easier to maintain anything that has already been developed regardless of what it is, but, but the, the further away you are from the actual construction of required machinery, then that's, that requires the frequency of exposure for maintenance. Welcome to Reconsider, I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions.
1: If anyone wants to talk to Bill live and you have an interest in this model and you wanna talk through certain things, you got questions about things, it doesn't really matter necessarily if you are a coach or a clinician necessarily you probably should have some higher level understanding of what's going on or some general understanding but you can yeah. jump on to these calls i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the calls but
0: um we did call 176 this morning the calls are at 6 a.m eastern standard time check your local time zones um, they are international as all get out so we had canada Singapore, at least, and then obviously United States on the call this morning. So um, people from all over have joined into these things. It started off as something really, really simple during the COVID era, just so people didn't go crazy. And then it just evolved into this nice little educational experience that we do every week. Um, doesn't cost anything, just, you know, maybe have some coffee and, and join us. At uh, six AM, yeah. so we were on there for we we're on there for a couple hours this morning. And but I did have a I, I, there was a programming question um, that that um, I'll probably post a segment of that actually as well because
1: okay. it was really good. And that, it, was, it was just a, it was yeah.
0: just a nice little little way to, to to gain some understanding as to as to how you might determine what to do.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, I think that's a good topic for us to kind of talk about today. And I also think that. Um, I haven't seen that coffee clip, uh, coffee call clip yet, so it'll be interesting to kind of not have a perspective on exactly the context of that. But mm-hmm. uh, maybe we just start with what that main discussion was about on the call, and then mm-hmm. we can kind of branch out from there.
0: Right. So, so the thing is like. like... What what do you, what does a program need to contain? We're, we're talking about individuals. So we're not talking about groups, so we're, we're actually able to use an individual in re, in regards to programming. Like, so so how do you know what to do? And we will speak conceptually. We won't talk about like specifics per se. Um, but as as far as the determination of how you would structure what what a program needs to contain, there has to be an intention, and then you have to determine well how do I figure that part out. And so in this case, we were talking about a rock climber as to how you would program. And the first thing that, that I would say is, what do you not want to do under those circumstances? So you think about what would be the worst thing you could do for a rock climber. So this is, the con- this is a mental model um, that is called inversion. And so you think about worst case scenarios, what would be the exact wrong thing And so if you think about a rock climber, you've got somebody that's relatively within a certain size range. So so on the call this morning, we talked about this, so they could be somebody that would be under six feet tall, typically. They're not going to be a very large person. They're going to be able to flatten themselves against a rock face, and they're going to have a certain amount of movement capability that would allow them to access the different holds and positions that they would need to move through space. And so when you think about a worst case scenario under this circumstance, the worst thing you could do would be to make them bigger. So when you think about force production, there are there are ways to do so um, that would not increase the mass of the individual. So think about climbing up a, a flat flat face and having to hold yourself up by your fingertips. That it would behoove you to not be a massive human being. And so that would be step number one is don't make them bigger. So we don't want to increase a bunch of muscle mass. Do we want force production? Absolutely. We want force production, but at a certain point, more force production probably wouldn't be beneficial. More muscle mass, so greater cross-sectional area, which would be associated with a higher force production would not be the desired outcome. So number one, we want to eliminate all methods that would be, um, geared towards hypertrophy which would be in your bodybuilding realm so right away you know well the amount of volume that i would be using in certain activities so that if we were talking about like the big exercise like bench presses and squats and deadlifts and chin-ups and things like that it would not be about increasing the volume where you would be increasing muscle mass obviously detrimental makes everything harder as, as a rock climber. So again, we're using this rock climbing example again. Um, but you could look at it from any perspective, depending on the athlete in question. If I was training a golfer, it's like how much muscle mass do I need as a golfer? Is there is there a benefit to, to having more muscle mass? Maybe to a small extent, but when you think about the movement capabilities that are necessary, I could actually be creating interference um, by increasing muscle mass to such a great degree. And so, you know, you think about very large golfers, like there are some golfers that are actually very large human beings that kind of work their way around some of the the negative consequences of that. But generally speaking, when you look at the best golfers consistently over time, you're going to find people that are not massive and they are not of of uh, greater weight. So step one in any kind of program is, um, in the mortal words of, of charlie munger avoid stupidity so don't do stuff that would be contrary to the desired outcome
1: yeah i like that also i think there's a it's a dan john quote it's like remember to keep the goal the goal so if you're Mm -hmm. training a golfer to become a better golfer that's your goal the goal isn't like what type of size can i put on this guy or girl what how much do i want them to be able to trap bar deadlift like that's that sort of thinking like these things can be key performance indicators that you kind of check as you go along. And that would would be based on like, you know, data that you might have about other golfers that they're similar sized or similar build that can do certain things in a similar way. And then that might be relevant there, but just taking arbitrary goals based on some type of traditional standard that who knows exactly where it comes from. So, in a lot of traditional senses, people might question what you're saying. And and by mentioning, well, I thought that strength, I need to be able to, I need to actually build the size of a muscle first to increase cross-sectional area, to increase the size of the tissue, because the larger the muscle, the harder the force production can be. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is also important, it's that if that hypertrophy and that size that I'm putting on for this athlete gets in the way Mm -hmm. of their abilities to perform their sport well, so gripping onto a wall, staying close to a wall for certain, you know, leverages, Mm -hmm. uh, or the ability to rotate well in space to be able to hit and contact a golf ball, it's like you adding size and compression to a system can actually be interference to those goals.
0: Right. So if if I if I train somebody for maximum force producing capabilities, I'm also influencing connective tissue behaviors that could be detrimental. So I need to I need to be able to optimize the ability to store and release energy in connective tissues, make them too stiff. They become too difficult to deform. And now I cannot store and release energy efficiently. So I've either increased the the energy demand to do so or I just can't do it. I literally cannot um, put the connective tissues in such a state where they can absorb and release energy. So again, make them too stiff it doesn't work very well. Now if I had somebody that relies on stiffness, so sprinters, for instance, have a certain amount of stiffness. They have very high force production going into the ground, not the same as a golfer. And so again to, to make those comparisons, it's like that's why you have to you have to understand a couple of things. You have to you have to think several steps away from what you're actually doing. It's like if I implement this activity for a specific desired outcome, what are the other consequences of me doing this? Am I am I robbing Peter to pay Paul? Am I taking something away that I'm going to need later? So you go back to something like a trap bar deadlift uh, for a golfer. It's like, okay, at a certain point in time, increasing their force production. Um, is beneficial. And then you cross a threshold and then gaining more force production no longer provides a return. And then the secondary consequences that would be associated with that would be a reduction in, in relative motions, the inability to turn, um, just comfort with, with movement in general is compromised under those circumstances. So you've just exceeded the ability to recover. Exactly. Exactly. People don't realize how, how stressful apparently that game is. Um, You know, from all perspectives. And so so you have to take those things into consideration. So, So first of all, first rule, don't do stupid stuff. Second of all, understand the negative secondary consequences of the choices that you're making. Because you might have the best of intentions and you say, oh, we need a little bit more force production. Great. But you exceed a threshold and now you've created a problem.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the big failing points of, of anyone that's writing a program and not getting the results that they would want would be not understanding the negative secondary consequences. So hopefully, I don't necessarily know if we're going to be able to impart all of that knowledge in this one conversation, but I certainly want to try to give people some systematic ways to go about this whole process of like writing a program for somebody. <laughs> so when I think about that, When I think about like the intake process, someone finding you as a coach or a clinician, your job is to program them for a specific activity, you have to know about the activity, you have to know about what the like I mentioned a little bit earlier, what the key performance indicators are for someone that's performing at a high level of that activity, someone that also tends to match up with what your body type is, even though the higher and more elite you get, the more the body types become the same. Yeah, there are some outliers there, but like we've mentioned before, swimming, uh you oh, tend yeah. to have the same body types. Certain track and field events, it's a very large mm-hmm. sport, so there's a lot of different events, but certain events tend to have similar body types.
0: Right. You look at 800 meter runners, they tend to look the same. You'll get pole vaulters, they're very similar. You look at high jumpers, they're very similar. So the so the selection um there there is definitely um, behaviors that are associated with certain body types and certain physical structures. Cause we talk about that all the time um, from an archetypical standpoint. So you could literally create a, a, like the perfect high jumper or the perfect shot putter or the perfect 800 meter runner. When you look at, when you look at physical structures and again, variations on the theme, but, but again, we can narrow this down. And this is like when we're programming for a specific sport or a specific outcome, the the next thing that you want to consider is like okay so if I eliminated the stupid I'm considering my secondary consequences but now I need to define like what what is the the ideal representation of what I'm trying to accomplish. So do you want to pick a sport? I wanted um, to make sure they got.
1: I kind of wanted to make sure to continue with like just the general framework of how to do it first before Mm -hmm. getting into like the specifics of it. So we had talked about like,
0: well, the the reason the reason I want to use this specific is because we will be able to define what that is. Yeah, uh, yeah
1: yeah 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 uh, so if, if we
0: if we have a frame i just want to have a frame of reference that we have a comparison because the way that i would explain this it's easier to see when we have something that is like well defined where there's a limited number of of necessary capabilities so if we, again, like right. like, I'll let you again right i'll let you yeah we'll comment. pick
1: right right after i save this piece out uh, we'll pick like okay. a sport maybe um fair enough i think i think golf is a good sport to choose okay. uh, mm. just because it's it's one it's one that's in the very fledgling phases of trying to train hard for golf yeah and a lot of yeah. golfers are trying to jump on board this like you know dj trains hard and rory trains hard and the new t- tiger used to train hard and all these you know training people uh that you yeah. know you see them in social media but anyway so what i what i was trying to do i just want to make sure to touch on these things that are like the most useful for people coming in, so we're not mm-hmm. jumping all over the place as we've been mm-hmm. accused of doing, and we have done mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, like you, you're 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 really trying to like you're trying to lasso in two different streams of consciousness that are just going while we're recording this
0: podcast, and it's just like <laughs> we're
1: trying. I'm trying my best to funnel two different streams of consciousness into one place. But anyways, yes. so you you've got someone coming to see you. They want help with a certain thing. So you address that thing. Like, what's the intention right. of what we're trying to accomplish? If, it's, right. if we're saying it's going to be an athlete, they want to probably get better at their sport, maybe get rid of some type of deficiency with that might be pain-related. Maybe mm-hmm. they have back pain. They're a high-level golfer. They want to get rid of their back pain and you know add some carrying distance to their drive, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. they come in. You have the information that you're collecting about where they want to end up then you've got to figure Mm -hmm. out what their starting point is. So that could be any type of assessment or evaluation on a table, Mm -hmm. medically, Mm -hmm. all of these different things, blood work. We can run the whole gamut Mm -hmm. of those things. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have a potential goal where a path Mm -hmm. toward a vector on which we want to travel. And then we have a starting point for that person. We've talked about like key performance indicators that you can gather through the data that is out there and available on different Performance aspects you right. could use, right. um, and then as you as you you find a way to do that, you figure out a way to sort of grade that person's exposure over time based on mm-hmm. their physical constraints, their time constraints, their equipment constraints to put them on that path toward that that goal or that intention that we wanted to try to get to.
0: Correct.
1: So I think. Starting there. And then let's use an example of like a golfer coming okay. in to see you. All right.
0: All right. So, so now let's, let's consider what we have to do first is we have to construct what it means to be a, a, the, the best golfer. Like what are the needs of that activity? So if, if you could, if we could perfect the situation and create the ideal what would that look like? And so there would be a structure that would be ideal. There would be movement capabilities that would be ideal. There would be force producing capabilities that would be ideal. There would be endurance related capabilities that would be ideal and so on and so forth. So we have categories of of capabilities that we would have to determine first. So we create the perfect golfer first. Then what we have to say is based on those capabilities, Um, And let's just take, we'll just, we're going to simplify this like crazy. So we're going to say there's force production and there's flexibility and there's endurance. Okay. And so when we think about force production and then we say, what is the most force producing athlete that we can think of? And I always tend to default towards powerlifting as being absolute, just pure force under whatever circumstance it may be. They have to lift the heaviest possible weights known to man. And so those would be the greatest force producers. So we're going to rank them on a 0 to 10 scale as the 10. And then we look at a golfer and we say, in comparison to that 10, what does the golfer need? And I say need. Not do we want, but what does this golfer need? Need. And so from a force producing capabilities, you look at what they have to be able to do and you say, okay, I got a club that weighs about a pound. I got to swing it really hard. So there's definitely some force producing capabilities. There's some benefits to having a really, really decent impact with the ball. But generally speaking, I don't need to be a power lifter. And so we're going to say five or six out of 10 in comparison to our 10, which is our power lifter. And then I'll say, okay, in this ideal golfer, when I think about flexibility, what is the, the optimal amount of flexibility that I could possibly need as a golfer? And then we say, well, what is, represents the ultimate ideal for the most flexible athlete that we can think of? And we're going to use a gymnast under this circumstance. And we'll say a gymnast is a 10 out of 10 from a flexibility standpoint. That's the perception anyway. It's not reality, but it's the perception. So we're going to use them as a 10. And I'll say, I'm looking at this golfer. And then I look at this gymnast and I say, if the gymnast is a 10, what does this golfer really need from from a movement capability standpoint, flexibility standpoint? And we'll say, okay, I need a 7. And again, you get to decide, plus or minus. Chances are everybody was thinking somewhere between 6 and 8 when I said flexibility like that's how accurate this st- kind of stuff is right so we're going to say that we're going to we're going to get a 7 in flexibility com- in comparison to this gymnast for our ideal golfer and then we say endurance and we think okay what's the maximum amount of endurance that we could possibly think of for an athlete and it kind of falls into like the okay marathon runners really demonstrate a great deal of endurance so something that that is kind of like Distance swimmers, distance runners, et cetera, would be the extreme representation of endurance. Golfers don't really have to do that, but they do have to swing repeatedly over a long period of time. So they have a number of swings. So you think about like practice swings, drive, and then if they go out and they play around, it's like, okay, really good golfers. Let's say they're hitting in the 70s. And then how many swings did they take prior to that? So there is an element of endurance, but it's not like a marathon runner. So then we have to say, this is very specific endurance. So when we look at that type of endurance, we're gonna talk of like maybe a four. And again, just, just spitballing numbers right now. I have an individual that comes to me and they say, Bill, I wanna be the best possible golfer that I can. And I say, well, here's the structure of an ideal golfer, do you have that? No. Nope. okay, so I gotta work around that. But now I can say, Look at my c- capabilities that I've determined was the ideal. And then I used the, the, the name this morning was Joe Bob. So I'm going to use Joe Bob. So Joe Bob says, says what do I need? And so we look over here at our, at our list of capabilities and we look at our force production. And what did I say? A six or something like that. And so we say, what what is Joe Bob's force producing capability? So we're going to come up, we're going to do some testing. We're going to come up with the general representation of what Joe Bob's force producing capabilities are. And we say that, well, the ideal golfer would need a six and Joe Bob's a four. So right away, I know I have to put activities into this program specifically designed to improve his force producing capabilities in a a specific context. So I know I'm going to have that type of an activity. Now I go to flexibility. And I say, okay, so we said about a seven um, or something to that effect in regards to our comparison to the gymnast. And Joe Bob comes in and he's an eight. Right away, I know, okay, I got to maintain what he's capable of doing, but I don't need to make it any better um, than he's already representing. He's already showing me these capabilities i just need to make sure that i don't interfere with with those capabilities right now i look at endurance i look at specific endurance and he comes in and let's just say he's a two so i needed a four and i got a two so now i need to to increase his ability to perform repeated activities much like the golf swing, they don't have to look like a golf swing, but I need activities that will support his capabilities to improve his specific endurance for his activity. So right away, I start to categorize the types of activities that will be included in this program. So that's the next step that you have to do.
1: I think I think what what you're saying is it's what you would call like a needs analysis. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. You you have so so you know you you determine what the, what the from an analytic standpoint, you look at like, a, okay, what is the, the ideal representation? And now all I'm doing is comparing the client to what I would consider the ideal. And now I have to write a program that starts to close those gaps. But the thing that that you don't want to have to do is I don't have to make all of those capabilities equivalent in regards to the representation in the program. So me spending the same amount of time in force production and, and flexibility in this consideration where I've already got. The, the, the movement capabilities that I need, I don't need to increase those. So the volume of the program that, that I would spend on that should be the minimal amount that I need to maintain that in, in uh, concert with all of the other activities that I'm going to do, right? So w- if we follow our first two, two rules, it's like, you know, don't do the stupid stuff. OK, so don't spend extra time on something that I don't need to spend time on. And number two, don't do too much of something that's going to take away something that I already have.
1: OK, so you've given you've given uh, we've we've determined what that exercise that you're talking about is one that most people should try to use with their clients, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what they do. It's like of all of these call them categories or buckets. It's we're talking about. Force production, elasticity, power, endurance, flexibility, whatever you think you value or that athlete or individual should value as a category of performance or health, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. put those on your chart, rank them from one to ten. And then like Bill's saying, you can see where your emphasis needs to be. And that's one of the things I wanted to kind of elaborate on a little bit was the idea of emphasis. A lot of times, I think when people program, they try to do things in blocks where they get rid of certain aspects and focus on one particular aspect, which could be useful if you had something you were really trying to go after, one singular thing. But -hmm. in a lot of instances, athletes need this sort of myriad of, you know, different capabilities. And you want to be able to kind of work those things in a continuous fashion and just sort of change the amount that you do of each thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I think of that I think of like vertical integration that Charlie Francis would talk about mm-hmm. where you are training all of the important components of that athlete's athleticism at all times throughout the year, but each phase might be a different focus. Right. So I'm still used I'm still doing, I'm still maintaining like you had mentioned the elasticity mm-hmm. of someone that's very bouncy but maybe their force production's on the lower side. So I'm gonna have a little more like typical strength work in that Mm -hmm. beginning phase. And then their flexibility is at a level where I would, it's acceptable to how I measure and assess. So I maintain that, but I'm not focusing specifically on that. So I'm allowed and I'm allowing myself to maintain certain aspects while I train the others uh, Mm -hmm. in a continuous way.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty straightforward. So Makes we're sense. we're done. There you go. That's it. All, all, we're, we're all done with the. Pre- <laughs> well, we're to, we're, to, we're talking about the 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 big picture yeah, right here, the thirty thousand foot
1: macro view. Yeah. Right. So we we've talked so, about. So I, okay, go ahead.
0: Well, I just wanted to say, so so w- there are specific cases where um, the 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 maximizing the focus is. Is of a, a, a great right necessity. Give me and I will give you a specific example so you can kind of understand when you might not select that as your as your uh, programming concept where you where you're vertically integrated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have a short window of time and I have a very well developed athlete. So my resources are very limited in regards to what I can actually do in a very short period of time because I have a very highly developed athlete. So they already have these crazy good capabilities. And so under that circumstance, it might be a situation where I have the world's shortest off-season scenario. So I have four to six weeks to work with somebody. I have to raise one or two capabilities in, in that window. And in that case, you might be focusing a great deal of, of, of time, effort, and resources on a very small number of capabilities. So I might just work on one or two things. And then they do maybe do a little bit of homework on the side. Where I'm like again, it's like power output is one of those things that that shows up a, a lot of times where you might have a decrement over time. Because, it, again, there, it, it's not maintained by any number of other activities where you might need to focus in on that. Right? So, so, again, there is, there, is, there is a time and a place to do, do certain things. If I have a lot of time, so you think about like an annual cycle with an athlete or I have multiple months where I can actually work with somebody where I have time to develop a, a, a progression of capabilities, then I would, I would totally agree with what you said.
1: Yeah, so you're talking about like a constraints led process, Absolutely. like a constraints led yeah. approach. So what what Bill yeah. is saying is that given the time constraints of an athlete, so if that, like you like you're completely right. If I, if I only have four to six weeks with someone, and and I have two two markers of like key performance indicators that are, are glaring to me as deficiencies, yeah. I'm really going to tackle those. I'm going to hope that the sport practice and the normal day to day activities of the athlete kind of check the other boxes. And I'm obviously I'm, I'm understanding as almost in a role of like a trade off manager, what those trade offs are going to be like, there might be a high level of soreness for that four to six weeks because of what we're trying to push into that time frame. So there might need to be like more of an effort towards recovery modalities and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. all things that you need to weigh given your time constraints uh, with an athlete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about time constraints? So it's knowing also that, that I think that can kind of lead us into when to train certain things, for how long to train certain things, and then over like an off-season, preseason, in-season, postseason sort of scenario, how mm-hmm. those things and those the emphasis might change in training.
0: Mm-hmm. Any time that machinery, machinery needs to be constructed. So machinery would be more muscle mass for cross-sectional area, because like there is times to do that, um, or something that would be cellular. So if we're talking about endurance, where when you think about the, the, the necessities for energy production, so and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out mitochondria as, as the, the structure of, of, of choice here.
1: The powerhouse of the cell. <laughs>
0: It there. There's two requirements in this world. Whenever you talk about energy production and mitochondria, you have to say the powerhouse of the cell, which I hate, and then the George Box quote for modeling. <laughs> it's like you're talking about models. Yeah, some models are useful, right? some, some are good. Some are useful. Be useful. Um, anyway, um, but anytime you have to construct things, that takes more time. So if we were talking about a program that's, that's designed to, to actually gain muscle mass, you're talking about like a longer window. So six weeks and you would start to see, you know, in, in, even in a moderately developed individual, you would see hypertrophic changes. You would visually be able to, to identify those um, from an endurance standpoint, kind of the same window. Um, where you would start to see the the significant changes in the endurance capabilities, but because those things need to be constructed and and they they demand resources. Like you're literally building physical material within the human being. Ranges of motion can actually change very quickly. So we can actually do this in, in minutes under the right circumstances. The progression of activities to able to be able to demonstrate that in other contexts, however, might take a little bit more time. And so so we, we have certain ways that we can access, uh, like I said, ranges of motion. Um, and then we have to consider that as we are constructing these other things as to frequency of, of appearance in the program. So when we're talking about ranges of motion and things like that, um, once we can actually capture them, And we want to maintain them. We tend to to bookend programs with them. So like when we're talking about the day to day implementation, capture range of motion training is going to take some of that away and then recapture it. So the more often we recapture it, it's much easier to maintain that over time, even when we're trying to superimpose other activities on top of that.
1: Okay, so what Bill is referring to is oftentimes known as, like, residual training effects. And um, I think it comes from Russian exercise physiology literature. I don't Is it? Is it? What uh, um, what's well, we face?
0: have? Um, it shows up in Isurin's books.
1: Isurin. Isurin. And um,
0: what's. Are you talking about
1: no, Adco Viru. Oh, Viru. So yeah, um,
0: but yeah. What, stuff. Just, just by super training.
1: Yeah, by super training, it's in there. Buy but anyway, training. so it's the basics there. of what Bill's talking about: anything that's mechanical that needs to be, anytime you got to build organelles, anytime you got to like change connective tissues, build bone, build muscle, things like that. That stuff is typically going to take you about a month or more, maybe. Sp- four to six weeks, uh, yeah. like Bill was mentioning, anytime yeah. you're dealing with something that's more reactive and nervous mm-hmm. system based and neurological. So you could be talking about joint range of motion, you could be talking about speed, uh, mm-hmm. elasticity, high velocity movements, like these things need to be hit on more often. So five Absolutely. to seven days right. is typically when you start to see great decrements. And I believe the the definition of a like a significant decrement was 10%. So when do you start to see a ten percent drop off in strength? That would be based on the size of the muscle and the connective mm-hmm. tissue development. That mm-hmm. comes around thirty five days or so, plus or minus fifteen days or whatever it is. Right. Uh, your your neurological like reaction times, ten yard flying sprints, max jumping type of stuff. That stuff you can see decrease in a week if you don't visit it enough.
0: Right.
1: So that's what we're kind of using as our guide as our guidelines for what sort right. of things need to be in a program when
0: right quickly gained quickly lost i mean that, that's that's the, yeah. the the basic rule
1: So if you're if you're heading into an in-season period with an athlete and you you don't want to be working on tremendous amounts of aerobic endurance, very long aerobic endurance bouts, tons of time during the week right before the season, because you know that about a month leading up to the season, I can tail that back and I'll be able to maintain those effects throughout that month so that I can focus on the things that are going to be more relevant to my sport. So the technical and tactical aspects, the more explosive aspects, the speed aspects the things that are going to have a significant decrement over the course of, you know, days or weeks.
0: Right. This is a really good model to use. This is how you superimpose the capabilities on top of one another without having to spend the resources to, to build them. So I've, I've pre-constructed muscle mass easier to maintain anything, easier to maintain anything that has already been developed regardless of what it is. But, but the, the further away you are from the actual construction of required machinery, then that's that requires the frequency of exposure for maintenance. Okay. Yeah. So if so I we've... if I developed a certain amount of endurance over, over a certain period of time, then my frequency of exposure to maintain that is much less. So maybe, you know, I could go like within a two week period after developing sufficient endurance, I might only need like a, one or two days um, every couple of weeks to help maintain the sufficient endurance that that I would carry through to whatever particular sport that we're talking about.
1: Right. And having some type of checks and balances to your program or embedded testing and assessment is going to be crucial depending on the level that you're working with. Otherwise you are really going to be guessing or you're going to be using a very reactionary approach based on their performance of their sport. So it's if if they are decreasing their performance output in their sport you're probably too late in terms of the training because it's going to take you Mm -hmm. enough time and if they're already in the middle of their season you're probably at a loss already so you want to kind of be on the front edge the leading edge of that Mm -hmm. um so we've talked about the intake process what happens when before i write the program we've talked about the the things to consider mechanically, neurologically, from a training effects standpoint. Um, we haven't touched necessarily on how you would, I don't like to use the word periodize, but people know it. And a periodization mm-hmm. just means like having a plan. So mm-hmm. how do you plan, how how you might plan out, if say you did have eight eight months with someone to prepare them mm-hmm. for their upcoming season, Mm-hmm. how might you I mean I know how you would and I know how I would but I'm asking uh-huh. you from the perspective of like because I think the way that you and I might program for somebody is actually a lot different than the typical like macro and meso cycles you would see in any of these periodization right. books so maybe we right. touch a little bit about like into the cut out of the cut early mid max late
0: programming well those. Uh, and but those are just specific needs that we're, that we're talking about. So, so you know as to what someone's nece- necessary um, uh, capabilities would be. And so as we as we're developing a program and we want to think about do I have the foundational movement capabilities necessary And so when we talk about such things, um, th- those are your into the cut type of activities under most circumstances. So if you think about, so if I'm doing a change of direction and I'm moving into a right foot cut, um, I have to be able to access certain positions at a certain rate um, to perform at at an optimum. There's a point at, at which I apply the greatest force capability into the ground under those circumstances. And then there's the turnaround where I'm actually moving in the, the opposite direction from what I initiated. And so there's certain types of activities that fall into each of those, those categories. And I think that's what you're, you're, you're sort of hitting on as to what the priorities may be. And this is also gonna depend on how much time that we have to, to play with. So if we have months to play with, then we, we certainly can a- address a great portion of these in greater quantity for a longer period of time where we might emphasize the early phase of that, of that sequence um, under those circumstances. And so there's certain types of activities would be pure interference to that. And so if I have activities that are associated with higher force production in that, in that case, those could actually be those, those activities that are actually interfering. So my emphasis would be on, on a movement-based approach um, of greater emphasis in that early phase. Right. So
1: I'll give an example just so people kind of understand where we're coming from. If I'm, we'll just use an off season period. We'll say the off season is 18 weeks. So I'm going to give myself three, six, six week blocks. Okay. So I might, what I might do from that perspective that Bill's talking about and it, and, and I'm going to actually relate this back to like more traditional training perspectives or things that people might have as models coming into this and let them know that they might not be so different it's just how we think about them that might be a little bit different so going into that early off season i'm trying to take someone who just came off of their season they're the probably the tightest that they're going to be they are very you know overly driven into whatever specific patterns that they use in their sport so they've done they have any type of overuse issue is going to come up at the end of the season, typically for athletes. So we're going to get them away from that. We're going to make things a little more general. We're going to take things slower. We're going to like work on that early into the cut decelerative representation, doing things a little bit slower, using lighter weights, trying to capture larger ranges of motion first. And then after I've progressed through that type of phase, I can move into more of like a middle maximal force production phase. Because again, we're using this early to late representation of propulsion that we talk about in this model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be my high force producing, my high compressive, my more bilateral movements in a lot of cases, my more internal rotation bias movements. So my back mm-hmm. squats, my bench presses, my pull-ups. And again, as long as you're managing the trade-offs, you know the negative secondary consequences, you can feel free to use this type of stuff with your athletes. So that might be my middle six weeks. And then my last six weeks would be my later propulsive phase. So I'm going to be, you know, center of gravity is a little farther forward, might be a little bit higher up. It's more like how I would present and and show my my force capabilities and reactive capabilities on the field. So it really matches up from a specificity standpoint um might have things that are putting me in a more overhead position might have things where I'm elevating my heel and my weight's through my forefoot things mm-hmm. that are shifting me and putting me in a more like dynamically corresponding uh place to mm-hmm. that upcoming uh season correct did, did i did i hit on the early mid and late stuff well yeah I think,
0: I think i think i think you i think you did did quite well it's like so when you think about an athlete um, they have to be able to slow down first, which which is, is so what's well, kind of the,
1: the obviously the obviously not obvious thing <laughs>
0: it, well, it's, it's contrary to, to your belief it's like you like right away everybody's thinking high force production, high speed it 's like no, I have to be able to stop that first. Right. So this is one of the problems that we run into is that people get so so far into their force producing capabilities. They get into high power output activities and then they can't control them. So we have to teach them these elements of control first then we can teach them to produce higher levels of force and then we can teach them to produce high levels of force within a time constraint and then we teach them to do that over and over and over again and then that becomes the endurance and so so this is why this sequence becomes so important some people walk in the door and they have those capabilities we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it. that's great we can make the jump into higher force producing activities we can make the jump into higher power producing activities in in many circumstances but the thing you you want to you want to have is that i i have to have have the capability to protect myself first, and and that is that is this early phase of propulsion where all of those necessary capabilities exist. Those, that's my access to relative motion. It's my access to energy storing capabilities of connective tissue behaviors, and I can optimize that based on the context that I'm that I'm training in. And then you, we move into the they tend to be slower, they tend to be higher force producing, they tend to be bilateral symmetrical activities, they tend to have lesser rotation in this middle phase of propulsion. And then we have the demonstration of velocity, the demonstration of power that's on the back end. So learn how to slow down and control first, learn how to produce force, and then learn how to do that as quickly as possible.
1: And as relevant of a uh, way to your sport, the context of your sport as possible. Yeah. So I think, um, so, and you might be saying like, Oh, well, I already, you know, I already train people like that. And you, you might like, if you're using any, if you've heard of like triphasic training that do a lot of that, you know, it's, it's learning to eccentric using typical traditional, like eccentrically loaded part of a program, which is just working on deceleration. You're using like high load isometrics with fast concentrics, that's your force production. And then you're doing more repeated bouncy stuff. Your contrast training where you lift heavy, then you jump like the, toward the toward the end of your off season period. You're accomplishing the same things, but it might be from a little bit different perspective. And you might actually make some uh more intelligent choices based on like the early, mid, and late representation mm-hmm. that we're we're giving here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, I think we, you know, we briefly touched on a lot of things. We, I think, we gave people some useful stuff to take away mm-hmm. from it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, we're still it's in, we're still
0: in be, sort of like the macro view, though.
1: Yeah, and it, this is gonna. Yeah. I, I want. I want these episodes to create a dialogue and the opportunity for people to ask questions so that we can have other episodes where we dive into it more and I'm sure we yeah. will talk, we can talk specifically about any of this again, we can talk about like, the whole into the cut out of the cut type of programming, which could mm-hmm. be an entire hour long conversation in and of itself. But yeah. these are the these are like the basic um, I think that one maybe one last thing we didn't touch on is like how you like what type of feedback loop you can create for yourself like if you're if you're always sort of testing and assessing how things are going like what does that information how does that cycle back through to the beginning of your process to change things um i don't think people consider that enough
0: Okay, so this, this comes into to some of the, the ways that, that some folks would write a program. So, so trying to project too far into the future um, as they're writing a program is exceptionally difficult to do accurately. All right. So if I write a 12-week program, the detail that I would have at at the 12th week versus the, the first couple of weeks will will be radically different because as you're executing the program, you're monitoring for changes, you're looking at KPIs. And so you're trying to make these acute changes over smaller iterations within the program to get to that, to that 12th week, to project into the future three months and say, oh, by the time they get to there, it's gonna be this. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, to, it's impossible. The, It's, it's, it would be a rare, it would be a rare circumstance that your accuracy would be, be, um, be that great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think, um, one thing I want to leave people with, we talked about super training. I think Mel refers to it as cybernetic periodization, which is a fancy way of like talking Mm -hmm. about auto regulation. So you can, there are ways to build in components of your training program that can sort of direct you towards what you need to be changing on the fly. Right.
0: Right. Well, it's just moder- it's just monitoring for, for, for the key performance indicators. You say, OK, yeah. so under this circumstance, Absolutely. it's like, what is my trend? What is my trend? So so I'm monitoring this over like a two week period. And I say, OK, so these first two weeks, I'm going to really be focused in on, on X, Y and Z. So I need to monitor this, this and this. OK, are they changing in a favorable direction? Awesome. Then amplify that. Continue to if, if that's the goal is to is to continue to progress those, then you amplify that. And then if you if you get to that two week period, and you go, oh, this is going in the wrong direction. So let's just say I'm trying to maintain certain movement capabilities and I see that, that, that they start to deteriorate. It's like, okay, I need to make a change. It's like, I, like in this acute phase, I need to make this adjustment now because if I continue in this trend and if I go another two weeks, I might lose it to a, such a significant degree that it's not recoverable by the time I get to the end of the program. And so, so this is the, the iterative aspect uh, of your program. You have to build in, you have to have embedded testing built into the program itself frequently enough that if i see a negative secondary consequence start to show up i can correct it in time versus allowing it just making assumptions say casting the athlete decides say here's your 12-week program i'll see you in 12 weeks it's like you just don't know what you're going to end up with. Like, yeah or so better yet you yeah, here's, you here's lucky, your quadrant
1: so. here's your quadrennial program and on your third year in october you're going to lift <laughs> four you're going to lift uh right. 89 percent of your one rep max in your back squat for three reps it's like yeah. okay that's fun okay i mean we've i think we've uh we've given everyone everything they need to know about programming ever <laughs> shop. it's you know most of the for, based on the length of this not a lot of people are still listening other than our our true fans the real ones yeah. out there um there go. yeah if you're still listening uh, and you want to leave in the comments what your favorite color Power Ranger is, please Ooh. let us know. Hmm. There's, Wait, there, I have a question there, about that. Really, I have a question uh... about
0: that. Is, is the white Power Ranger, the green Power Ranger, the same guy?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Jason, Jason David Franks, I think, is his name. And he actually passed away, I think, last year. I was just going to say
0: like... he's unfortunately deceased. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. he was the green power ranger and he was the white power ranger and he was the, he's the most prolific of the power rangers. Cause I think he's been in like five of the series. He was also right. like a black and gold power ranger. And then he was in the, uh, he was a red, he's a red power ranger at one point. Um, uh, if anyone's a power ranger fan and they're still watching this, they want to try to correct me. Go ahead. <laughs> I do know a lot about power rangers. Oh, I got, hold
0: on. I got to show everyone wait, this. Just wait, so everyone knows. pink, pink, pink power ranger is the, um, I can't think of her name. That would, that would be Kimberly, my favorite, of course. Kimberly. There you Kimberly. go. Kimberly. Well, there's been many different pink power rangers, so this is the
1: <laughs> This is the Green Power Ranger's magical dagger that summons the dragon I, sword. I am so Don't ever don't ever question.
0: I am so <laughs> concerned right now. <laughs> you have the Oh man, you should see all the stuff I got. That would be Hey Chris, that would be like having your own Batman <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, what
1: what concern could you possibly have? So this this is one of the ori- This isn't like a, a recent purchase. This is one of the originals that I have
0: from. Oh when my I was a kid. And it still works. Oh, my well, of course it does. Yeah. It's the Power Rangers. So Tommy,
1: Tommy, I think his last name was Oliver. Tommy Oliver,
0: I think is the name of the character. I, don't know. I, I, I honestly, anyway. I've seen I've seen the Power Rangers just a few times, but I remember that there was. Thanks for watching, there's... everybody. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com. Get your NeuroCoffee, Better Coffee, Better Brain, and Synthesis, Better Protein, Better Body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.